Welcome back to Speaking of Startups, formerly known as the Charlotte Angel Connection. Today, we're excited to release our next podcast with somebody you've probably seen a fair amount of on LinkedIn or out and about in the local startup community, CEO and founder or co-founder of Lean Time, Gloria Falleron. Really good podcast interview. We had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Gloria while we were both at the Converge South Conference and surrounded by a great group of entrepreneurs and got a chance to explore the full gamut of her run from a nurse all the way to currently where she sits and all the things that she's learned around along the way. So certainly hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Gloria, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Oh, thanks so much. I'm super excited to be here. So we are live um, or recorded live, whatever you want to call it. But you and I are at the Converge South Conference here in Concord today. Um, looks like a pretty good turnout. And thanks for carving out some of the opportunity to network with folks and everything else and come in here and do our podcast. So, as you know, we like to get started off with a little softy. So, if you want to give us a quick pitch on what lean time is so that we can kind of launch from there, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so, I'll start by asking you a question. Okay. I like questions. Um, tell me about a time that you've worked with somebody you couldn't stand. Uh, <laughs> can I go this morning? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bring, bring out the big guns. So um, maybe uh, more describe a behavior of somebody that was really frustrating to work with. You know, it's a great question. So I had a sweet girl that I worked with in one of my first jobs, um, extraordinarily intelligent. Um, but she would always, the, the challenge that I had is I like to get in my office, sit down, do my work and, and, and kind of dive in deep. And she would come stand outside my door and talk to me for 20, 30, 40 minutes at a time. And that was always a very painful process for me to extract myself from that world and dive into my own. From our brief conversations, I get the sense that you are very attentive to your environment. So I can expect that you would probably not want to be disrespectful and pulling away. Yes. Um, what you're describing, though, is um, social cues and social skills. And she must not have been catching on to the fact that, hey, he wants to sit down, have his coffee and get into his work first. Yeah. And then we can engage later. Or not at all. <laughs> <laughs> You might not have been sending strong enough signals. Fair. What happens in project management is 78% of project management, a project success comes from soft skills or social skills or the ability to rally your team and motivate and inspire them. Okay. Project management tools are entirely hard skills which means that they have Gantt charts and task breakdowns and timelines and all of the technical pieces of running a project. That has zero relevance to your team. It matters to the project manager and it, manages, it matters to your stakeholders. But the people doing the work are your team. Not everyone is great at so, uh, soft skills or social skills. Lean time connects that project experience, that hard skills element, and marries it with soft skills using generative AI. Okay. Um, super cool, right? It makes people that wouldn't necessarily be great at their job be better at their job, right? Yeah. Um, 
which if I remember correctly from earlier in our conversation, when I said, um, what gets you excited, that happens to be the thing that you said gets you excited, right? Yeah, making people better than they thought they were going to be. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, is that a was was that a was that a shower idea? Was that a scuba diving idea? What I did, where did the idea for lean time come about? Right. The story there is kind of interesting, and it'll sound more complicated than it is. We happen to like interesting stories around here, Gloria, so we're in, we're, we're in a good place. Well, that, that's good, because it's a little unexpected. Uh, my first career is as an ER nurse. Okay. Uh, you don't usually think of ER nurse running off and starting a software tech company in the project management space. Does that not happen daily? Not I. I haven't run into another one of me, but if you find one, I'd love to meet them. I will put you in touch. I appreciate that. Um, I was working as a nurse, and I got into nursing because I wanted to help people. Yep. Natural, natural segue. What I didn't realize at the time was I wanted to make bigger impact, and I was a problems, problem solver, and I didn't realize that. So one day, I'm on a 12-hour pediatric ER shift. And I have this little itty-bitty two-day-old baby come in in the middle of flu season at 2 a.m. because the mother is really freaked out. Well, the thing she was really freaked out about was something completely normal for baby development. But that baby has no immune system. So why is that baby in my ER at 2 a.m. in the middle of cold and flu season risking potentially dying for uh, something that is completely normal? That experience led me to realize that if I want to make bigger impact, I need business and I need tech. So I ended up at a startup weekend with Marcel and we started our first health tech company. Okay. Lean time really started initially out of this idea that using lean methodologies to run a business, when I have a big board on the wall covered in sticky notes, that doesn't become actionable that doesn't tie to any of the work that I'm doing. And at the time, we didn't know I had ADHD. So if you can imagine somebody with ADHD covered in sticky notes, not being able to figure out up from down in terms of does this actually move the needle, um, we ended up with a Lean Canvas as our first, very first raw version of Lean Time as a way to connect that business development to the actual work that we were doing. Okay. Fast forward a few years, and I've done other things in the startup space. Um, Marcel and I work building MVPs with for startups, um, web-based applications, doing brand development, doing social media, content inbound marketing. And I ended up working as a product manager for another company. And over and over again, I'm seeing this experience in how people organize And in how they organize, you have multiple tools and no one from the top down was able to connect what is our purpose and what are we aiming for and what is that measuring bar? And so the more we dug into what is in project management, the more we were driving into there are bigger problems that the tools are clearly not solving. And one of the feedback that we get sometimes is this idea that, There's already a million project management tools. Does the world really need another one? It doesn't need another one that looks like the tools that we have today. Yeah. Because it's not the hard skills that are causing projects to fail. 
And if it was, then all of the work that we've been doing over the years, pushing hard skills, would make the statistics of 70% 70 of projects failing um, disappear. It's the soft skills. It's that human element. And so we're trying to recreate that experience where this next generation of work wants to have purpose and meaning and understand where their impact is going. And they care more about that than they do about dollars. And companies need to be ready for that shift. No, it's a really good point. Um, so we're gonna hop around here because you, um, we, we touched on a lot of different points. Um, where were you when you were an ER nurse? Uh, so when that all started, I was in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, and so what brought you to Charlotte, North Carolina? Charlotte, North Carolina. We moved to start an alpaca farm. Okay, so um, and that's still in existence. Uh, the farm still exists. Uh, we've since shut down the the alpaca experience. So you still in the land? We still on the land. Okay. We'll revisit that in a little bit because yeah. those are um, land is fun to talk about. Um, so how did the first health tech startup experience go for you? Uh, to be honest, I was quite a bit younger than I am now. Um, with the shift from nursing to this business space. Totally different language. Yeah. And I ran into this constant experience of, why are you using this weird word to explain something that you can explain in normal terms? <laughs> Incredibly frustrating um, because I couldn't quite catch up to the lingo. Yeah. Um, and so no matter where I went, I felt a little out of place because I was, I want to call it humanizing the language so that it was something I did as an ER nurse when I'm teaching patients how to take care of themselves and their health conditions. I can't go in for the big medical terms. Yeah. And um, in that experience, I ended up with several mentors who uh, ended up being a little discouraging in the process. This was health. This was telemedicine before telemedicine is what it is today. And they told me over and over again that no one would pay for that and no one would want that idea. At the time, the Telemedicine Parity Act was only requiring insurance companies to pay for telemedicine if you were rural and lived over 50 miles away from a healthcare facility. So there was no obvious payer. Yeah. The, the laws have changed now. Clearly, insurances pay for that. Well, shoot, even then, I mean, the broadband that existed, I mean, the, the target market for that was so small, and then those aren't your... Uh, they're your beta testers in the first place, right? So, I mean, they're going to be your last adopters of something like that rather than yep. the first. I mean, it's extraordinarily punitive from that perspective. Yeah. So, what we ended up doing at the time, there was Teladoc, which yep. was um, still around, uh, but they were one of the only large organizations doing what they were doing. They were targeting adults. So, their strategy was working in uh, with... Uh, healthcare agencies and employers and trying to get that as a benefit that the adoption was hard yeah um, so this was a huge long game that required lots of capital and here the community I'm in is telling me no one is gonna pay for this yeah um, I was one of the only Latino founders in the group that I was in um, and so it there weren't there weren't a lot of people who look like me a lot of uh, people who are encouraging that process of okay figuring it out uh, and it's unfortunate because we we had an MVP where you could actually start to do telemedicine in a weekend through tech 
the um, the Techstars Startup Weekend. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, how long did that help Tech Startup? How long did you run it? So I worked on that about a year. Okay. Um, I ended up needing having to do it part time. Um, I was working with Marcel he, with his web design agency where he was building um, those MVPs for startups. Yeah. Uh, so doing it kind of on the part-time on the side. The biggest hurdle we had at the time was trying to find a medical director because you needed somebody who would write standing protocols. Okay, makes sense. Biggest lesson learned about a startup in that first one? What were one or two big key takeaways that that you had and kind of stored away in the back of the mind for what has now become lean time, right? So timing is a bit of everything. Timing is important despite the fact that we don't want it to be, right? Yes. Um, and it's one of those things that I, I, at the time, I could see if I, if I could get the capital to tough this out, yeah. this would, something would come out of it. Our name was even better than Teladoc. Um, hopefully no one's listening from Teladoc, but they were video my doc pediatrics. Okay. That's so very clear what you're doing immediately. Um, and that timing piece is huge. I think the other piece that I really walked away from now after having really, I, I didn't have an easy childhood. Um, and so there was a lot of imposter syndrome, I would call it, um, growing up where I really didn't own the confidence that I needed. That was something that when I look back, that is a much different me than it is now. Um, and I needed the me now to yeah. be able to take that to success. That's really, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about confidence this morning uh, and how important it is in basically anything you do in life, right? I mean, to driving down the street requires confidence that you know what you're doing, right? So from that place to this place, how do you gain, so how do you go about how did you go about getting the confidence that, hey, I'm ready to take lean time now and, and walk, right? Where did that confidence, where did that quiet confidence come from? Or is it just experience that kind of slowly build up over time? Probably a combination of the two. Um, we had a few more situations that I could start to see where my timidness was leading to me being walked over. Yeah. And at some point I just got over it. And I was like, okay, I'm, old, I'm too old for this. Uh, the other thing that happened to me during that time was that uh, I had two beautiful girls. Okay. And those two, when I look at them, I imagine a very different world than I see now. Yeah. That's awesome. So getting rid of that timidness, we'll refer to that as uh, get, uh, finding your, your inner Yankee. Yeah. Uh, my wife's from Philadelphia. Uh, so timid is not something or... Uh, in, in her in her bloodstream, I don't think. Um, so next time somebody says you, you found your Yankee, right? Um, They're gonna look at me strange, but <laughs> I, I, I will try to hold on to that one. Uh, good stuff. So, um, so when uh, when did you officially decide to kind of take lean time from kind of out behind the scenes and bring it bring it into the world? Right? It was it's kind of behind the scenes for a while. What allowed it to kind of be pushed out and in, in, into the broader community and become what it's becoming today. 
So the story probably, when I said fast forward a few years, yeah. there was a lot of happening in, the, in those few years. It sounds like you had two beautiful girls, you got married. I mean, it's just a little bit of accumulation of things. Uh, yeah, I got my MBA. You got your MBA? Um, I, well, I was shortly after I got my MBA, we took lean time with the lean canvas in it, the very frost edition where it was. Uh, and we tried to go into the commercial space. Okay. And at that time, Jira had just really started getting traction. Asana had really started growing. Uh, and at the time, the money they were spending on a keyword was $20 a click. We didn't have that capital. It's yeah. another capital problem. Um, and even with all of the networking I was doing, we were new into the city we were in didn't have the connections that we needed to have. Um, I had gotten pregnant shortly in the middle of that time frame. And it's less commonly talked about, or I see it less now, but back then there was a big uproar of somebody in the investing community found out you were pregnant. Okay. And there were some big stories at the time where women had been gotten pregnant and they found out and it was a big ordeal. So all of these things going into play, then the not having that capital to compete with um, $20 per click AdWords, um, we we drove that for about a year, really looked at it from a startup angle. And at the time, everyone said startups don't have money, which is really funny because now startups is its own target market yeah, um, and they have money. So it's a matter of timing again. <laughs> so that ended up we ended up laying that kind of to the side for a while. Um, shortly, I think 2019-ish or 2020, Marcel said, we've got code sitting here. Let's just put it in the open source community. Um, why let a really extensive code just kind of go to waste? He maintained it lightly. Last year, it started to grow so organically on its own and people were starting to take a lot of his time um, in terms of support requests and feature requests and updates and things they wanted and he was like look look we got timing <laughs> we got it where we're needed um and i took one look at him and i'm like the market has not changed there are still problems no one's using these tools we have to have a really good reason for you to bring me back into the space because that 20 dollar click is up to 40 now, and all of those organizations are paying people to make listicles, which are these blog articles that throw them on there, and some of them are charging as much as $6 a click to be up even halfway through. Wow. Um, so there's this huge ecosystem and space of competition. Yeah. Um, so I said, I can't do this if we're not going to do it really, really well and solve a real problem. So we first started, our earliest relaunch was um, looking at blockchain, buzzwords, uh, but using gamification and rewards as a way to promote people coming in. Okay. And looking at almost a marketplace element where we could drive advertising and have some other revenue models. Thank goodness for customer discovery. <laughs> Because it's the customer discovery that, and and it's continuous. We don't we don't ever stop. I will be talking to a stranger and somehow find out about their work and <laughs> pulling out tidbits from it. Um, 
that customer discovery really led us to the thing we wanted to solve then was community and social elements. That was kind of the gamification to bring people together because COVID had hit. We were losing water water cooler conversations. And so we're still holding on to elements of that. But our, our path to doing it now is much more scientific, rooted in science in terms of the how do we intrinsically motivate somebody? Um, and we're really looking at things based on what we can do with AI that's really out of the box compared to how other other groups are using it. That's pretty cool. MBA, you went back to MBA after the health tech, and was that right? Yep. So kind of realized, hey, wait a second, if I'm going to do this business stuff, I might want to get a little bit of additional background schooling on it. Is that kind of what led you down that path? Uh, that's a great question. So pretty close to exactly what I was thinking. What I had found then um, was that with working with the startups yeah. and having gone through that whole process, talking to those the, the groups there, the people who were starting companies, um, I got really good theoretically and also in practice at starting a business. If you have a business idea, I'll, I'll get you everything you need set up probably tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and we could be off and running. That's not a problem. What I really wanted the MBA for was the knowledge and the skill sets to go from here. You've got a company. How do you manage it? Yeah. Additional component of quiet confidence. You could say that. Yeah, absolutely. So awesome. Gamification, right? Talk a little bit about that because it's kind of bubbling back up and being a keyword again. Or I don't want to say keyword because buzzword buzzword is better. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what does it mean? Like, how do you, um, how does it work? Like, how are y'all leveraging gamification in the business? So gamification, um, not even that long ago, uh, I think it was Garter, Garter Gallup, one of them, I always confuse them, said that 80% of gamification efforts fail up to millions of dollars lost for companies over years. Yeah. Uh, one example was Disney decided to gamify their laundry services. Have you heard this? I have not heard this. So they decided the hotel industry, I think it was in the Florida market, um, they wanted to gamify those elements of how do we keep people on target and get keep them doing what they need to do. So they created a leaderboard that worked in colors, sort of like a stoplight. You had green that meant you were on track, yellow that meant you were uh, slowing down, and red that you were just straight behind. And then they put everyone's names on it, and it was about how well you were cleaning and how well you were folding the laundry. Can you guess what happened? Uh, Everybody quit. (laughs) So they called it the, the virtual whip, something like that. They had a nickname for it, but... They started competing with each other rather than helping each other. So there was this underlying pregnant ladies weren't going to the bathroom. People were skipping lunch, not doing the things to take care of themselves because they were determined to stay ahead of somebody else. They wanted to be green. Yeah. Wow. So when somebody talks about implementing gamification, the first thing I'm going to tell them is to tread lightly. Yeah. So then how do you do it from a responsible perspective then? You have to really understand the, one, the why. 
why are you doing the gamification? Yeah. What is the intent and purpose? But then you need to understand the group in which that you're implementing it. Because you take that experience, could have probably predicted that that could be an outcome if you had a good understanding of gamification and what it, what it could potentially promote. Open source. You're mentioned that a couple of times today, and obviously it's a key component of what you do. Do you get worried in an open source world or how do you view it? Um, and I guess probably 80% of the audience understands what open source means, but what is, how does lean time leverage open source? You're touching on a nerve. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, open source is the core of open source is so, I almost want to use the word altruistic, but it's so intentional that the root decisions and the reasons that open source exists is to really give people ownership of what they have access to. So an engineer, um, I I love the example somebody once gave me. Um, He said that when the iPhones came out, if you wanted to open it up and fix it, you voided the warranty. The point of open source is that you're not voiding the warranty when you try to change it or make it better when the company may not be doing it when they should be. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot rooted in open source that is so true to our fundamental vision. Now, if you ask me about open source and business, yeah. there is a line of incongruence that occurs with altruistic, moral good, and in general, not taking advantage of situations that um, doesn't always overlap. So there are these under, always these underlying concerns of making sure that when we set up the business, we are listening to the open source community. Uh, the There's been a lot lately where companies will go open source and then a year or two in after they've gotten some traction, some growth, they'll cut the cord. Shut it down. Yep. And it's, it's very damaging to a community that's trying to do good. Yeah. So when most startups need capital in some way, shape, or form, whether or not that's from sales and growth in that way or raising capital to bring it in um, from outside investors. And so when we think about outside investors and we think about open source do how does that go right does it automatically shut off some potential investors or are people more interested in the the model i think open source i think free right like how many other people think that i would say a good chunk of them think that um open source when they use the word free is not free completely as in i don't owe anything it's free as in I have the ability to do what I want with my data. Yeah. Um, similar to how we consider ourselves free in America, the freedom to choose and do things that we want to do. I have run into that a little bit, um, but I feel like particularly out in this area um, with Red Hat being in Raleigh, there is a lot more exposure to what is open source here yeah. than I've experienced in other places. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about Red Hat and its success yeah. kind of, bleeding out through the southeast and really opening people's doors to it we've talked about a lot getting up to lean time and kind of bits and pieces of it along the way um and by the way if you hear clicking noises in the background we have these great um fidget cubes cubes. yeah fidget cubes cubes. um that gloria gave me beforehand so i'm clicking 
I'm away over here, so I apologize if it's feeding through on the podcast, but uh, this is a dangerous toy for me. So how's the, so you, you've been out in kind of with Lean Time for a year and a half, two years now? Uh, so we relaunched the business officially of July of 22. Okay, so over a year. Yeah, a little over a year. We're October 5th today, yeah. so 15, 18 months. Um, how, um, so how's it been? Uh, it's been faster than the, the small group that we have can handle. Okay. Um, in a positive way. The thing about the space we're in, though, is a speed and lead, I, I call it a lead first industry. Um, the studies show that when people go to look at a tool, particularly for project management, the majority of them don't go more than three tools. Okay. Uh, you get those people who are like me and I have to know every little detail and make sure that I'm doing the very right thing. Um, but for the most part, it's like, get me in, get me out, find the best thing. So that means they go to gravitate to whatever they think of first. Okay. Which for us, that means speed is of utmost importance because it's what keeps us relevant. Your question in terms of capital? Yeah, finding capital, right, in an open source world, or just finding capital in general these days, right? Yeah. So we've been really fortunate. We This past spring, we were selected for the NC IDEA microgrant, and then shortly after, we were uh, out of something like 1,100 companies. We were one of the 20 companies selected for the AWS Impact Accelerator in their Latino core cohort. Uh, and that came with a non-dilutive grant of 120k plus $100 of AWS credits. Okay. Uh, those have allowed Marcel to go full-time. Yep. Um, otherwise, we've been entirely bootstrapping, um, which in terms of like investing and experiences we've had has been really surprising and conflicting for people because we'll say we're pre-seed. Yeah. But we are post-revenue, and we have a very developed and robust product in comparison. We have some more features in some respects than some of the other tools have. And that's primarily because, A, it came out of, I mean, it's it's been out there for a while, and y'all tinkered with it and added this and added that, and then it kind of launched into open source. I mean, it's you've got some benefits. There's some benefits to having an idea or a concept, we'll call it marinate for a little while, right? I mean, it's just kind of sat there and now it's nice and ready, you know, yeah. to kind of... Timing. Yeah. Timing sometimes falls in our favor, doesn't it, Gloria? Uh, we just got to wait for it and know when to jump. Yeah. How do you best leverage the AWS experience? So the AWS, in terms of the impact accelerator? Yeah. One, their programming was really developmental. So while I know how to do inbound sales, um, I've grown our keywords and I've doubled our traffic in the last six months. Okay. Um, And that's doubled our conversions. Um, What I I don't have experience in is sales. Yeah. And I started the conversation with I like to help people. When I go in, I don't, I don't, it's a little harder for me to ask for money because what I'm trying to do is I want to provide value. Yeah. And so I lead value first, which is great but a longer sales cycle and it's more networking it's more relationship developing so i don't have great sales skills and those were things that they really brought to us the other thing that they did was they paired marcel with a technical advisor and i had a business advisor who works with some of the large venture capital firms like sequoia and some of the other organizations and 
from what I understand, is a, is a liaison role. Um, and he was able to really give a lot of perspective in terms of what are, what are BC Capitals, what are yeah, BC firms looking for, and what is the narrative and the story and how to develop that in a way that ends up being a cohesive picture. Okay. Capital raising in general. Have y'all started raising capital outside of the grants that you've received or you foresee yourselves doing it in the not-too-distant future? Uh, so we have been having discussions already. Um, that's a new experience, relatively? Mentioned the alpacas. Yeah. Um, with the alpacas, we did have... For, for the podcast uh, listeners, we're back to the farm. Yes. Yes. So with the alpacas, I did do some fundraising. Yeah. Uh, we ended up not taking any money out of that, um, but I did have offers on the table with some due diligence work. Yeah. How for uh, like a new experience for you, right? Like how is having those preliminary conversations going on the capital side, right? Like you, you know your business. Or in this instance, we'll say we, you know your baby, and you know um, other components. How is raising capital or starting the conversations around capital going? It's a it's a journey. It is a journey. The a good, most political way I yeah. could say that. You, it is a journey. You have good use of words. Uh, the reason it's a journey is that this space is full of um, preconceived notions. So I say the words project management and one of two things happen. You have an immediate picture and you've decided what my tool is like. Yeah. Or you've completely turned off. This has no relevance to me. Yeah. Um, and so I, it's been a lot of work trying to figure out when I go into a conversation, what am I going to get? Yeah. And then that needs to frame how I start my story because there are things that are going to be different and more interesting to somebody whose ears turn off versus somebody who says, oh, so you're like Trello. No, <laughs> we're nothing like, well, we have users who compare us to Trello. Yeah. But what they say is that we're Trello on steroids. Okay. Yeah. So we're better. Um, but it is an interesting you know, point. I mean, and you said it earlier on in the conversation, it is a crowded field. And even though you run into a crowded field that doesn't have good solutions, it's hard to break into it because they're the established players. And gosh, as you pointed out earlier, they can pay $40 per click, which at the end of the day costs a lot of money. So how do you differentiate or how are you winning in the marketplace, right? Like how are y'all carving y'all space out before you can truly expand at a more rapid pace? So when we look at it, it's really that, that pain point. Um, project management systems pop up all the time. It's, it's almost nerve wracking. I'll see, oh, there's another one. <laughs> Oh, wait, there's another one. But they all do essentially the same thing with a different skin. Um, and you'll, you'll have software like Linear is a great example. They've built up with a very lean team. A lot of what's missing in project management is the branding, the humanness, and the, the elements that go into that. So when we got into the space, uh, one of the biggest problems we saw was a lack of tool adoption. The tools, when they're hard skills, only benefit the project manager. They benefit the stakeholders, but the individual contributor goes in there, looks at their task, and conversation after conversation, I'm hearing, I take that task list that's in this tool, and then I copy it into this other tool 
that I then cross off my actual activities. So they're not feeling like they're getting their needs met in a tool. So we went straight back to how do we start from this full experience and improve adoption first. From there, that's really where our traction has taken off. Um, one of the feedback we get from the open source communities that we're also one of the prettier tools that is in the space. Which is helpful, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we gravitate towards things that attract our eyes. It makes it easy to view. So it's something that makes sense that y'all focus in on incorporating it to. This is also where my ADHD in some way benefits the company. Yeah. Uh, I have a very low tolerance to complicated software. If it's too, um, if it's overwhelming, if you're throwing a ton of stuff at me, if I have to over, um, over customize it and really process how does my work fit in here and then it never quite fits right, I can't do it. Yeah. And that's, that's some of the, there's a, with ADHD, you can have what's a, it's a low frustration tolerance. Yeah. Um, and so when we're looking at that, we use that in some ways as a UX guide. Of, okay, I got in there. She's annoyed. <laughs> She's not going to use the tool. What what do we need to do differently? So it's the glory of frustration guide is the way we go through UX in some it, instances. It, yes. it drives myself crazy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So um, the do you... So you've mentioned ADHD you know, a couple of times. Is that kind of the target market to a certain extent, or is that market just the gateway to get you in the door that allows you to expand through organizations? It's it's part of the whole package. Yeah. People don't realize that productivity is a culture tool. If you go into a company and the way they organize themselves is torture, that's a horrible experience. It goes into morale. It goes into how you feel about work. It is uncomfortable. If we can be more inclusive in our productivity, then we're benefiting everyone. But I, I touched on that science piece. And for someone with ADHD, um, there is a disconnect in dopamine. The theories are mixed on what happens. But takes more dopamine for me to enjoy something or to get motivated than it might for somebody who doesn't have ADHD. There are ways that we can boost dopamine intrinsically to the point of gamification earlier. That is one element of dopamine boosting. The other element is um, on the path to a goal, dopamine is secreted on the way. So as you see progress, you get dopamine doses. When you hit that goal, dopamine crashes. So how do we incorporate things like dopamine and intrinsically motivate somebody who would already have that challenge and then ultimately benefit everybody else on the way? I'd say, does that, um, does that mean it turns off folks that don't need it or does it is it just additive to their progress along the way, Gloria? Uh, you mean somebody who doesn't have ADHD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever used a wheelchair ramp? Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, it is even more beneficial for somebody who doesn't have ADHD because they already have the right amount of dopamine, so you're going to feel even better. Yeah. Um, and it's we, we don't realize how much better we make the world when we include everybody in it. And ultimately those things where you might be having a sore ankle or a bad day and you don't want to go up the stairs, so you take a handicap ramp or a wheelchair ramp. 
Yep. Um, and it's it's those things that when we make the world fit everybody, um, we all do better. So that's an awesome concept. I love that. So it makes a ton of sense. I was at the Charlotte FC game last night, and um, my wife's friends has really good seats, and they were all the way down at the bottom of the steps. Um, and I was tired last night. Walking all the way back up the steps to go get my daughter popcorn was uh, twice was not necessarily what I was looking for. Um, but um, what's next, right? So here we are. We launched for 15, 16, 17 months into existence. You've got some great recognition. You're growing faster than you can currently handle. Like, tell me where you are over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, right? Like, how do you grow? How do you expand? Do you stay in Charlotte? Is Charlotte an okay market, or is the Carolina regions right? Because you're kind of what's the Salem in Charlotte, or are you um, all Charlotte? We're all Charlotte. You're all Charlotte. Point. Just talk through the future a little bit with me, right? So this is part of the reason why we're looking at capital. Yeah. Uh, so we we have, as of yesterday, um, nearly nineteen thousand installations across our open source system and our cloud. Um, it's just barely over our first year, and. This year alone, we've done over 30K, 35K in revenue. Um, for a project management system, that feels pretty good. Yeah. Um, but that next level of monetization relies on a couple of things. Our largest user base is in the open source community. Knowing that they have a core level of system and there are other features that they need. So taking the WordPress approach we're creating a plug-in marketplace. Okay. And that plug-in marketplace allows users to pick and choose, how do I make my project management better based on these more advanced features that enable more? Um, so that is one of our next phases where we've done the math that at even a low growth rate would have us close to $3 million by the end of uh, 25. Okay. Um, and that's just with the plugins and priority support plans. The other models that we already have and we're working on is our cloud, so our SaaS platform. And then we also have uh, managed hosting or hybrid cloud. And then we do managed integrations, which is what our large contract. So we've had a nearly $30,000 enterprise contract that was um, managed integration plus priority support. So when people say project management software, and you mentioned Asana earlier, which kind of hurt my ears up because I've, I've at least heard of the name, right? Um, how big are project management softwares in terms of size, right? Revenue or how big how big can you get to? Um, for a company that has under five, I think it's 5,000 employees the last time I looked, you could pay a million dollars a year for Jira as an example. Okay. As one company. And then those those organizations, which is a different approach, they do the standard lock you in for so many years on a contract and, and you're stuck. Yeah. That will probably lead you to ask me, well, how do you compete with the contracts? That. We compete with the contracts because really when we talk about what we're building, we say we build for the non-project manager because we're making that work better for the individual contributor, we're making the work relevant for them so that they are more motivated and involved. And what you see when tools like Jira are largely software development is that the developers and the engineers use it and they use it really, really well. 
but your marketing team, your design team, and the other people who should be using it yeah. aren't using it. So we have features like goals and a high-level strategy, business strategy, so kind of a quick one-pager to get everybody on the page on what is the purpose and what are we working towards. And that line of if we raise what we're looking to raise allows us to get the plug-in marketplace out and then also build integrations for MS Project and Jira where we can then work alongside the tool at the same time. So they're still getting the goals benefit. They're still getting the AI social elements um, and they're still getting the strategy and the other groups can still do their work. So uh, the, the people that enjoy the existing platform can stay on the ex- existing platform and y'all just swim up, swim up alongside of it and serve the rest of the folks that hate the platform that ever, that the other foot, the technical people are on essentially, right? You use the word hate, but yes. I did. Yes. So I probably use that word too often. So then the first, the first one is just the first 3 million that you can get to is just a, it's a small puddle in the bigger pond of where you, or bigger ocean of where y'all can go. Yep. So numbers of the, the funny thing about project management space is that we call it a bunch of things that doesn't isn't project management. So right now there's um, a new trend coming with a personal knowledge management. Okay. And then you get, uh, for an example, we have a user who is building out a digital uh, a digital library of historical documents. Um, people you don't normally think of working in projects are using project management tools because they're really organization tools. How do I take something that's complex and make it manageable? Yeah. It's crazy. We're 45 minutes, so we're kind of coming up on time. So a couple um, kind of questions to round out Gloria and our conversation a little bit. You started a farm up north of Winston, up in the Winston-Salem area. It's now just a nice piece of land that you go to from time to time, right? 33 acres. 33 acres. What's the learning lesson there about alpaca farms? Um, we were building alpaca Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, we had glamping. We did really well our first year. Um, I planned an Easter event. We sold out 600 tickets oh, wow. uh, in the middle of COVID, and I managed to keep everybody socially distanced yeah. in a safe way. Uh, it, was, it was incredible. We sold out. I had people begging us to let them purchase tickets past past that point. I talked about that timid point of kind of getting walked on. Yeah. Um, we had, um, that business was really intended to be a family-run business yeah. with family that we have. And um, some things happened there that in the middle of our busiest season made it really, really hard to recover from. Yep. And we needed the extra person because that's how much had been built up already. Um, and that experience was one of those moments where I said, okay, um, I'm, I need to set like my expectation management and my boundaries need to match the level of confidence that I have in my ability to take a business and launch it and make it successful. So it's a really cool parallel because earlier on in our conversation, we were talking about lean time and how there's more growth than y'all than your small team can handle right now right so what you learn from that experience that you're bringing now to lean time again goes back to that quiet confidence right like how do you how do you tackle the challenge of being busier than y'all can i don't want to say afford to be but maybe can handle right 
it's, it's, it's going to sound really weird, but I want to say it's vulnerability. So um, Daniel Coyle writes an amazing book about um, culture. And in there, he talks about how that vulnerability precedes trust. So you can't just wait for somebody to trust you. People trust you when you're open, honest, and transparent. And so out of that, it's about expectation manage- management, the honesty. We, I talk to our users every day. And when they have needs or frustrations, and I, I explain what's going on in terms of we're at this size, we are working to get to the next size, and we are absolutely, this matters to us. Yeah. But it's that difference that takes us much farther. Yeah. Do you communicate in mass with your users, or is it one-on-one, or a little bit of both? Uh, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, we have a community chat on Discord. Okay. Um, where uh, I think over 900 active users, they tend to be engineers and the folks who are installing the platform specifically. But then they work with their teams and come back with any bugs or I'm frequently asking about uh, UX and things that to make it more smooth. What led you to be so customer-centric? I told you I like to help people. Uh, they all help people. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, there, there is a, a beauty in helping people feel validated. No matter what the perspective is, it doesn't matter if I agree with, oh, that was really uncomfortable or you fell and you hurt yourself. It's your fault. Yeah. (laughs) That's not it because your perspective and the way you experienced that was pain. Yeah. It was uncomfortable. People aren't used to that. And so seeing somebody grow and get that confidence because now they matter. And now their perspective matters and how they feel. That's something that I just want to keep giving people all day long. Um, as the business grows, that's going to be harder for you to do, right? Um, so how big do you want lean time to get? And then how do you give that? Because um, you're a thinker, right? Because when I said that, you smiled and you acknowledged the fact that that is, in fact, a very true statement. Like. How do you grow with that and let go of some of those interactions, right? Yeah. So vulnerability. Stop, um, stop repeating words on me. Sorry. <laughs> I need to find new, new, new topics. Um, it, it needs to bleed into the culture. Yeah. Right? I need to be the person who sets that from the beginning very intentionally as whoever I hire next. This is who we are and how we view the world. And this is how we make our customers better, happier people. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, if Gloria were, if you were to take a, a week and go do something fun and exciting away from the tech world, uh, what would you go do? You're going to make me go scuba diving again? Yes, of course I am. Um, I miss scuba diving. It's been quite a few years. Um, but there is, uh, the ocean is a scary place. Yeah. And when you're down there and you can see everything, it's less scary. Yeah, no, when you're swimming with the sharks, it's easy. The fish. The fish. <laughs> Let's go with the fish. <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, it's been a uh, it's been an awesome time to sit down, uh, talk with you, learn more about the business, um, and what y'all built so far. And I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the space is crowded, but just because spaces are crowded doesn't necessarily mean that they're hitting on the marks that they need to hit on. 
and watching y'all grow over the course of the next couple of years, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, and nerve wracked because it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of intentionality. Yeah. Um, saying that though, I really appreciate the conversation and the time that you've taken to, um, chat with me. Yeah, no, well, uh, you'll run into it with the higher level of confidence that you're gaining every day. Right. Um, so keep knocking down the, um, knocking down the little barriers and the big barriers will become easier to knock down. I appreciate that perspective. I think you're right. So, well, thanks so much, Gloria. I appreciate it. Thank you. Clean Bissett is the owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program may not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.